Well, good morning. If you were here last week, you heard the beginnings of a discussion about our values. Let's think about that again. We, we talked about the fact that this is a good time to be a Christian. It really is. There's a lot of darkness out there. There's a lot of confusion. A lot of waywardness. But as I look through Scripture from Genesis to Revelation, I find that it is in the darkest times that God does the biggest and the, and the greatest things in His world. And I believe that God is poised to do something great in our community and in our world and here in this country. And I'm glad to be a part of that. And I believe it's a good time to be His church. I believe that we are His church and you are here today because you believe that as well. That you want to be a part of what God is doing. You recognize the fact that our greater culture around us is moving further and further away from what we believe and what we teach as truth here in our church. And the biblical truth that we find in Scripture, you understand that, but you're here anyway. And in being here, you are saying, I want to hold on to that truth and I want to be a part of what God is doing. So it is a good time to be the church. It's a good time to be a Christian. And we talked about moving forward now, making a plan to move out from this place into that dark world with the gospel of Jesus Christ, realizing that as uh, the culture has changed, we too need to make adjustments in order to be more aggressive, if you will, in our presentation of the gospel and to be more intentional in sharing faith with this lost world. But before we can make a plan as to where we're going, we have to agree on where we are right now. And that's uh, what we're going to talk about this month. And so we talked about some values. Do you remember what they were? All right. Somebody said, yes, I like that. Let's talk about those. Can you quote them? Number one is biblical truth. Number two, missional living. And number three, thank you, vital connections. And so we introduced those last week. Today, I want to spend a few moments with you talking about the value of biblical truth. I'll start this way. 50 years ago, I was in the first grade, the primary department of Water Street Baptist Church in Waxahachie, Texas. And I remember it like it was yesterday. And we learned a song. Maybe you know that song. It went something like this. The B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the Word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. You do know it. Isn't that something? Yeah, I remember that. Fifty years ago, I had no idea just how prophetic that little children's song would become in my life. I stand alone on the Word of God. Yeah. I didn't feel like 50 years ago that was necessary. I grew up in, mostly in the South where my friends either believed the Bible as the truth as I did or at least they allowed me the freedom to do so without criticism. I went to schools where many of my teachers were believers. 
where the Word of God was widely accepted for the most part as God's truth. I knew very little about what it meant to stand alone in God's Word. But I see that now as a necessity. Don't you? Are you feeling that way sometimes? You see, one of the things that we have discussed over the past couple of years is this widening gap between what we believe as evangelical, authentic Christians who seek to follow Jesus and His Word and what the greater culture accepts as normative or true. And we've seen that gap growing wider and wider and wider. And make no mistake about it, at the center of that controversy between Christian community and the culture is the Word of God. There it is. And so as your pastor, when I say to you, we're going to accept that, we're going to claim biblical truth as a value in our church, and I'm going to encourage you to claim biblical truth as a value in your life, I want to do so with a bit of a warning. Because if you, yes, if we determine to stand on the word of God, we will, as that little song reminded us, find ourselves standing alone. Yeah. You'll stand alone at work. You'll stand alone in your community meetings. You'll stand alone at school. You'll stand alone. with your families. This week, this past week, was Take a Bible to School Day. Did y'all read about that? Focus on the family puts this emphasis out every year. Encouraging children to take their Bibles to school one day during the week. And it's kind of innocent. That certainly still is very legal in our country. For children to carry their Bibles themselves to school. What they do with them when they get there is kind of questionable, but at least they get to carry them. I saw where one of our heroes, Drew Brees, who's quarterback for the, um, for the Saints, I guess, New Orleans Saints. And uh, he's a big star in the NFL. He's also a believer, and he put out a video supporting focus on the family's emphasis of carry your Bible to school. The video hit social media and everybody was happy except those in the liberal media and others who took offense and came against Drew Brees with the question, do you really know what the Bible teaches? I was disappointed, I'm going to be honest with you, I was a little disappointed at his response because he kind of backed up and made a few excuses about what and why he did that, but I'm not going to pick on Drew Brees right now. I, I want to say this, when you stand on the Word of God, make no mistake about it, there will be those days when you stand alone. 
in this dark world. Are you ready for that? Church, are we ready for that? Do you want to go to a church, be a part of a church who values biblical truth from Genesis to Revelation? Want to be a part of that? You see, this, this controversy is not just between the church and the culture. For certainly the last 10, 15, 20 years, we have seen churches within the Christian community pulling away from the truth of God's Word, compromising, deleting, reinterpreting. In order to be more comfortable or more compatible with the culture in which we live. Are we ready to say that's not going to be us? We're going to stand on the Word of God and its truth. I want you to open your Bibles. Let's look at, look at a couple things from, from Scripture. I want you to open your Bibles, first of all, to Matthew chapter 10. And this, I'm not going to put this on the screen, but I want to show you something in Matthew chapter 10. I want you to look at this carefully. Because Jesus gave us a warning. I don't want you to take my word for it. I want you to hear what our Lord had to say to us. We, we know the name Jesus, right? We know he is the Lord of the church and he is our king. We've got that. And his words are going to matter to us this morning when it comes to dealing with this issue, this separation between what we believe as Christians and what the greater culture believes around us. And here's what Jesus had to say about those who were struggling with those issues in verse 32 of chapter 10 of the book of Matthew. Therefore... Everyone who will acknowledge me before men, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father in heaven. Don't assume that I came to bring peace on earth. Now get this. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be the members of his household. Look this way for a second. As we hear the words of Jesus, let me just reiterate something about the Word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. Few things, few things in this world have the potential to disrupt the fellowship within the family more than thus saith the Lord God. Do you hear me? You're going to have more trouble around the Thanksgiving table about the Word of God than you are almost any other topic you may bring up. Because our lost and broken world doesn't want to hear this even if they happen to live in your household. And Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring truth, and that truth will do what it does. 
But he started with a warning. He said, but if, you, if you're going to deny me before those people who disagree, then I'm going to deny you before my Father in heaven. But if you're willing to stand alone on the word of God, if you're willing to confess me, my word, my truth, before all of those who disagree, then I will confess you before my Father who is in heaven. That is a pretty pertinent promise. He goes on, verse 37, The person who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. The person who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever doesn't take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Anyone finding his life will lose it, and anyone losing his life because of me will find it. I stand alone on the Word of God. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Are you willing to stand on that truth? Stand on his word, believe it, accept it, live it. Turn your Bibles now to our focal passage this morning, 2 Timothy chapter 3. Paul is writing to the younger Timothy and he is writing to him about his own struggle in the ministry. I love the book of 2 Timothy, and, and if you're trying to do something that is difficult and take a stand for the kingdom of God and a, in a difficult place, you need to read 2 Timothy, and you'll be encouraged and supported because Paul is writing to Timothy, who is a young man trying to make a difference in a difficult place. And here's the word he gave to Timothy about the scriptures, beginning in verse 14. But as for you, Continue in what you have learned and firmly believed. You know those who taught you. And you know that from childhood you have known the sacred scriptures. Which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God. And it is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness... So that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now listen to what the Bible has to say about itself here. First, I'll, I challenge you to let biblical truth be a value in your life personally as well as in your church. Because the word of God is a vibrant word. Vibrant. It's alive. And well. And it works. He says here several things. He says it is inspired by God. In the NIV it says it is God breathed. In the King James Version it says by inspiration of God. What's the author trying to get at here? What is God trying to tell us here about his word? He's trying to let us know. That the Bible that we carry, this B-I-B-L-E, this Holy Bible, whether you're carrying it in book form or you've got it downloaded on your device. The Bible that we know, that we hold dear, is in fact God's own word. That's what he wants us to know. And if God is vibrant, then his word is vibrant as well. If God is alive, then his word is alive as well. If God is real, then his word is real as well. 
God's word. It is his breath that gave it life. It is his breath that speaks in and through it. Now, scholars have forever debated uh, about the doctrines or the theories of interpretation. How did God interpret his words? Or how did, or, or the theories of inspiration, excuse me. How did God inspire men to write his word? Because you know that the Bible is a compilation of books that were written over hundreds of years of time by different people and then were brought together by the third or fourth century and compiled into this Bible that we have now. And so the question is, how could God get a normal, everyday kind of guy to do that kind of bidding for him? How did he inspire men like Moses who wrote the first five books or men, men like David who wrote the Psalms or, or men like Elijah or, or Elisha or Isaiah or any of the others who shared what was happening in their life and, and kept their, their, their stories so that others could take them and see them as scripture? How did he inspire the gospel writers or the apostle Paul? How did he get his word on their page? Good questions there. I love reading about the theories of inspiration because some people will go very mechanical and they'll, they'll say things like, God took these men and he put them in a trance and they just took pen and paper and they, they wrote and at the end they actually read it and they were as surprised by what was there as we would have been because they didn't have any idea what was happening until they kind of came out of that trance because it was just God's own word. Others say no, God just, just kind of inspired them like you would a songwriter to write something good. He just put some words in their heart and they just kind of scribbled them down and they were real, a real part of that and they had their personality involved as well. And there's all kinds of theories of inspiration and how God inspired his writers. But here's what I want you to know now. What we find to be true in Scripture, if it's God-breathed, in, in, in Hebrews it says living and active. If it's alive and it's God-breathed, here's what I want you to know. What you hold in your hand or on your tablet or wherever you're looking at as the authentic interpretation of God's Word is what God gave us, it's what God protected for us, it's what God delivered to us. In other words, every aspect of getting the scripture from way back then to here in our hands this morning is of God. It is his work. His inspiration did not stop with Moses or with David or with Matthew or with Paul. He continued to inspire men throughout the ages to not only write his word down, bring it together, but preserve it, to print it, to make it available, to translate it, to get it to where he wants it. There's still inspiration going on as, as people like those who are connected with Wycliffe Bible translators who are taking scripture into these, these remote places of the world and translating into languages is still happening today. And God's hand is upon that. His inspiration continues as he continues to share the truth of his word. We have what he intended for us to have in Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 it says that it is living and breathing effective sharper than any two-edged double-edged sword penetrating as far as a separation of the soul spirit joints and marrow uh, the, the authors are trying to say this is something that God has done and because God has done it it continues it never ends as God never ends it is vital it is vibrant and it does the work that it was set to do that's why we need to make it a priority but I want you to notice something else he says here in this passage that it is also relevant 
I love what he says here, profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness. Let me say something about the relevance of God's word. That word relevant is something that the church is, has been seeking to be or to do in our culture for years and years. It's kind of became a buzzword. We want to be relevant in our culture. So we want to have music that's relevant. We want to have organizational structures that's relevant. We want to have programs and ministries that are relevant in the culture that we have today. That basically means new and fresh and current. And that's what we want to have. But when you start talking about the Word of God, what we have to understand is that God is relevant, so His Word is relevant, and we don't have to do any editing to make it more relevant. It's already, it's already relevant. It's already productive. It's already profitable for teaching for rebuking for correcting for training in righteousness now now here's the part that's going to create a little bit of controversy so listen carefully i believe that the word of god get this is only relevant and useful for those who believe that's what i believe now, now, why would I say that? We've got to be careful here. It's only relevant for those who believe. It says that. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, it says, The people who are perishing, it is foolishness. They don't get it. Why, why should we claim that? Listen carefully, church. Here's why. Because it is futile for you or for me or for any other church to try to edit the truth of God's word in order to make it more relevant to those who don't believe it. Why are we working so hard to do that? Why don't we just stand on its truth and let the chips fall where they may? Though we stand alone on the word of God, we stand and so many of our churches and our brothers and sisters are working hard, I believe, to try to maneuver this world, word, to manage this word, to edit this word in such a way that it becomes more palatable to a lost and a dying world so that the word of God might be seen as more relevant to the culture and is never intended to be so. This is God's word to his children. It is. And it is profitable for us. You see, I, I learned this the hard way. I used to do uh, and still do a good bit of marriage and family counseling. And, and I learned that in, in the counseling room, when couples would come in, if that couple were non-believers, I'd have much for them. Because I'm a Bible counselor. I'm a biblical counselor. I believe in Christian counseling. I believe that God's Word has answers. But to say to a man who's not a believer to love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that means nothing to him. That is not relevant at all. I can't make it relevant. I can't help him to understand that. Or to say to a lost wife, hey, the Bible teaches that you are to submit yourselves to your husband as unto the Lord. She has no idea what that means. It means nothing to her. 
And so what I want to say to you as a church is we see our culture going further and further away from the truth of God's word. Let's understand that it is relevant for us as his children. It's not relevant for them. And it is the spirit of God that invites them to come and to know this truth of the gospel. And when they accept God's truth and his love in their heart through Jesus Christ and they are converted into his family, then it will become relevant for them. Until then, it is a mystery in one place. It is foolishness in another place. To those who do not know him. Relevant. But boy, it's relevant for us. He says to Timothy, look down in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2. He's encouraging Timothy and he says, For the time will, uh, let's go to verse 2, Proclaim the message, persist in it, whether convenient or not, rebuke, correct, encourage with great patience and teaching. What's he going to teach them? Unless he teaches them the word, the truth. We have to stay with it. It is relevant. And I want to say to those of you who are are in this life right now and you're struggling with life and you see this world and you feel like the world is going crazy and you know the world is not in agreement with the thus saith the Lord God in his word. Please, please, please give the word of God a try. It will be relevant for you. It will make a difference in your life, in your home, and in your family. It'll make a difference in your parenting. It'll make a difference in your finances. It is relevant. It is profitable, useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and for training in righteousness. But only for the believer. Lastly, I want you to note this passage tells us that the Word of God is efficient. It is enough. It is enough. He says here, Verse 17, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Equipped. It is enough. It'll get you through. It will absolutely get you through. Joshua chapter 1, verse 6. God is speaking to his people through through his servant Joshua. And he says this, be strong and courageous for you will distribute the land I swore to their fathers to give them as an inheritance. That's the promise. Now listen to the challenge. Above all, be strong and very courageous to carefully observe the whole instruction my servant Moses commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left so that you will have access wherever you go. This book of instruction must not depart from your mouth. You are to recite it day and night so that you may, be, so you may carefully observe everything written in it. For then you will prosper and succeed in whatever you do. Complete, equipped for every good work. Psalm 119, verse 89. Lord, your word is forever. It is firmly fixed in heaven. And then in verse 105, we saw this a while ago. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Complete, equipped for every good work. It's a good word. Last week, Patty and I traded cars. You ever done that? Isn't that a hassle? It's, it can be a hassle. We searched online. We found something we wanted to look at. We went and we drove several. You know how that works. And we found us a, a good used car. We don't buy new cars anymore, so we found us a good used car. Went out and did the dickering thing. I love that part. I really do. I love that part. 
we dickered and we got a price we could all agree on and and we we traded cars and the salesman said now you got to come back next week this i never heard this before salesman said i need you to make an appointment come back next week i said for what he said because we got to show you how to use your car I've been driving for years. <laughs> Pay said, no, we need to do that. I said, all right, whatever. So we made an appointment. He said, it'd take about an hour. So we went, and the salesman hooked us up with the technician. We came out and sat down in the passenger seat. Patty sat in the driver's seat. I sat in the back. And he spent an hour with us. Did you know? That our car has a sensor on the windshield. You don't even have to turn your windshield wipers on manually. As soon as it gets wet, those boys will just start. I didn't know that. (laughs) Seriously, had I not had that instruction, I would have spent however many years we had that car reaching up and turning on the windshield wiper. And I didn't even have to do that. That's just one thing of many. It took an hour to tell me all the smart things that car would do. Cars are getting really smart these days. I talked to a lady recently who told me that she said, I got a new car. She said, I don't like it. She said, I can't get it to cool off in there. She found out later that she had the heat warmer on full blast all the time. She didn't even know it. They're smart. Okay, now here's my point. You say, Pastor, why are you telling me about your car? All right, here's my point. I knew how to crank it and I knew how to drive it. I already knew that. Crank it, drive it. Got that, put it in gear, go. All the normal stuff was there. And I could have done just fine, just driving. Turn it on, turn it off, go to where I needed to go, stop. I could have gotten that. But there was so much about that car that, enhance the journey that I didn't know about until somebody took the time to show me and I learned and and I think we're going to enjoy the car a lot more because it does a lot of cool things to enhance the journey and some of you are here this morning and you know enough about scripture enough about faith enough about the gospel to get you to where you're going you follow me But you know what the Word of God will do? It will make this journey come alive for you. God did not give us His Word to restrict us, but to release us. He didn't give us His Word to hold us in bondage, but to liberate us to live this life to its fullest. And many of you have never taken the time to look at it, to read it, to understand it, to get to know it. Oh, you know enough to get to where you're going. Yes. But the journey can be so much more rich and beneficial if you'll take time to read the instructions. Yeah. That's why I wanted to make God's truth a value because it's from God. It's vibrant. Because it's relevant to my life to my situations to my circumstances and it's efficient so that my life will be complete and full for his glory 
That's what we need to be as a church. We need to be the kind of church that sees the word of God, not as restrictive, but as a release so that we can get the most out of the life that God has given to us. It's a value to me. I hope it's a value to you. And I hope that we will all be able to sing together the B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the word of God, the B-I-B-L-E.